0: Welcome to the reading of the business record for Friday, April 29th, 2022. I'm your reader, Susan Hack. From the cover, Iowa State University Ivy College of Business, Commercial Real Estate Professional of the Year, Brad Schoenfelder, by Kathy A. Bolton. Brad Schoenfelder was named Ryan Company's U.S. Incorporated's Vice President of Development in 2008 the midpoint of a severe economic downturn. Businesses halted new development and expansion plans during the Great Recession that lasted from about December 2007 through June 2009. Housing starts declined and unemployment rates inched upward. Instead of hand-wringing, Schoenfelder looked at the break in construction activity as an opportunity to share Minneapolis-based Ryan Company's story, as well as listen to what the needs were of current and potential clients. We'd spend three or four weeks saying, what are they trying to accomplish in their business? And how can we put together a presentation that is there to solve what they are trying to accomplish? Said Schoenfelder, the 2022 Iowa State University Ivy College of Business CRE Professional of the Year. Schoenfelder, now president of Ryan's Midwest region, said the lessons he learned during the recession helped him navigate the pandemic. One big lesson applied in both crises is the importance of transparency, he said. You have to be brutally transparent with both the good and the bad, said Schoenfelder, who has been involved with the construction and commercial real estate industry for more than 30 years. You have to make sure that you're preparing people all the time for change, but also that you're being empathetic to people's individual situations, he said. During the recession, Ryan Companies and its clients and partners were figuring out how to deal with significant drops in revenue, Schoenfelder said. During the pandemic, he said, people were going to security and strength of being able to deliver even during challenging times. Listening to the needs of current and potential clients remained important. You have to really understand what are the reasons that they're building a project, he said. Schoenfelder joined Ryan Company's Cedar Rapids office in 1999 as a project manager. He relocated to Des Moines in 2008 after being promoted to vice president of development. He he became president of the company's Midwest region in 2017. Schoenfelder has, quote, played an integral role in many marquee projects that have contributed to the growth and success of the Des Moines Metro and which showcase Ryan's national model of development and construction throughout the region, end quote, said Andy Moffitt, vice president of real estate development for Ryan's Midwest region, in, a nominating, in nominating Schoenfelder for CRE Professional of the Year. We recently caught up with Schoenfelder. What did you learn during the recession that you applied during the pandemic? They were different crises, but have some common themes. Foremost during a crisis is when your values and culture will become the most important. So lean on them first every day. Be agile. Your community, clients, and partners are looking for people willing to lead through it. We are so blessed with a team that wants to lead and serve others. The result was significant growth of the team and clients during both the recession and pandemic. View a crisis as an opportunity that will make you stronger, but you won't know how or why until you are through it. Talk about your strategic plan for Ryan Companies. One of the things that was really important to me when I came into this role as a president was determining where and how we want to grow as a region and how to fit into where the strategic plan and the growth plan is for the company. One of the things that was really important to me is that we really grow and emphasize Ryan's development portfolio and platform. You saw that in our opportunities with Amazon. We were proactively out finding land positions, land partnerships to grow Ryan's development platform. We were also looking to develop our own internal people and look for people that had expertise in development so that we can strengthen our partnerships with others in this community. When I was transitioning into this role, I had a three-year plan that said we're going to continue to grow our development portfolio. We're going to bring on some people so we can continue to grow our real estate management portfolio. And we were going to grow geographically. We were going to open up an office in Kansas City. That has taken us from a $250 million business to a $750 million business. I did that for a couple of reasons. One, it helped strengthen our business model. More importantly, it it allowed us to continue to grow our team and to give our team other opportunities to grow themselves professionally. There has been a lot of development going on in Des Moines in the past two or three years, Will that continue? There's no doubt that it will continue. Des Moines has something that is pretty unique and pretty special. The owners of our company have seen it for a long time. I think you continue to see it when you see people wanting to invest in professional soccer and soccer stadiums. Those types of things continue to enrich and strengthen the culture of Des Moines. It attracts some of the best talent. People are seeking out communities where they want to grow their businesses. And that's why I believe Des Moines is going to continue to see strength in development and strength in development opportunities. What keeps you up at night? The things that I think about are, first and foremost, how do you find new networks? Everybody is in competition for the best talent. So for me, it is about finding new networks that really help us find diversity of thought and diversity of background. We have this client-centristic approach but we also have this multifaceted business that really requires individuals who want to manage that complexity. I think a lot about finding those new networks that really draw some of the best people here. How do you find talented people, which in today's environment can be difficult? It takes the leaders of the organizations, including myself, to be the recruiters. The leaders and our employees are the message board. They are the ones who can describe our culture. They are the ones who get to describe the personal passion that they get when they get to interact with clients and really try to accomplish something for them that they wouldn't be able to do otherwise. You can't convey that in a posting. You can't convey that through a recruiter. It has to be our people who are out there doing that. You have to get past the typical job fairs. At Ryan Companies, we've started a one-hour credit class at Iowa State University that is called Collective Insights. It's a different way that we are recruiting because we're trying to strengthen our industry and get the word out on what and how we're doing. You have to be innovative. You have to be creative. What do you do in your free time? I enjoy doing a variety of different things that take me on different paths. I started sea kayaking when I was in North Carolina. And I've had orca whales 10 feet off of my kayak. I met some people when I first moved to Des Moines that started taking me on rock climbing. Whether it be Mount Rainier or the Grand Tetons, I've gotten the opportunity to take an adventure like that with a couple of my friends from here. Boating and jet skiing, which started when our kids, Blake and Anna, became teenagers. It was really great family time with no TV, no cell phones unless it was the latest hip hop or John Mayer song. This activity gave us time with our kids, and we enjoy time with their friends. I grew up fishing with my dad. That passion has led me to fly fishing for browns in Patagonia, annual trips to Montana to fish in the mountains, or catching blue marlin this spring in Costa Rica. But you can't beat a summer day with my family and dad catching a walleye on the Missouri River. My latest pleasures have been getting back into snowmobiling with our kids and my wife's family, along with big game hunting to feed my passion for the mountains. I keep saying I want to play more golf, but I never do. About Brad Schoenfelder, age 52, grew up Mount Vernon, South Dakota, lives in Clive, education, Bachelor's Degree in Mechanical Engineering from South Dakota School of Mines and Technology. Work, Midwest Region President Ryan Companies, U.S. Incorporated. Other Activities Is on the Board of Directors for the Community Foundation of Greater Des Moines and is chair of its 2022 Investment Committee. Is on an advisory council for Iowa State University's Ivy College of Business is a board member of Des Moines Redevelopment Corp. and the Greater Des Moines Development Committee. He was a member of the Business Records 2009 40 Under 40 class. Family, wife Tina, and two adult children. Now turning to the insider notebook, bits and bites of the finer side of Iowa business, what you need to know about the city's upgrade to the downtown street parking system by Michael Crum. Screws began replacing downtown parking meters last week as part of a project to modernize the parking system and provide more payment options for customers who park on the street. Here's what you need to know. The city has undertaken a $3.2 million project to remove about 3,000 parking meter heads assigned to about 3,400 parking spaces in the downtown district. It has installed about 400 payment stations mid-block in those blocks where meters will be removed. Last week, crews began installing identification markers for each space. City traffic engineer John Davis said the project is needed to keep up with changing technology. The meters that currently accept debit and credit cards run on 3G technology, which is being phased out this summer. Going to the new system will also make payment easier for customers. Davis said the new payment stations will accept credit and debit cards or coins or allow customers to pay using the Park Mobile app. He said the app allows customers to add more time no matter where they are, whether at an event at Wells Fargo Arena, a performance at the Civic Center, or if they get stuck in a long meeting. This app will send a message when the paid time at a space is about to expire. There is also an option to pay over an automated system from a phone. The city is using money from its parking fund to pay for the project. The upgrade has been in the city's capital improvement plan for several years. Davis said it will be a process that will take several months before the meters are replaced and with space identification markers meters will be bagged the day before they will be removed, alerting customers to the change so they can plan accordingly to park elsewhere that day. The technology is not new. Other communities, including Minneapolis, have been using this technology for a decade, so the city has been able to take advantage of best practices and experiences by those communities in implementing the upgrade here. Davis said he expects there will be savings in maintenance and equipment replacement. And because the coin boxes at the new payment stations are larger than in the current meters, coins will not have to be collected as often. He also expects that by using the mobile app, fewer people will use coins, reducing coin handling and resulting in fewer trips to the bank and fees involved in that process. Davis said street parking is pretty strong in the downtown area, especially around the Iowa Events Center, the Civic Center, and the Court Avenue District. It hasn't returned to pre-pandemic levels, but is—but it has come back stronger than it was last year or in 2020, he said. From the Business Records Culture section, restaurants, city, and festivals in talks over effective street closures by Michael Crum. Talks are continuing among some downtown Des Moines restaurant owners, the city, and festival organizers about what the restaurant owners say is the negative effect weekend festivals have on their business. With multiple festivals scheduled in downtown Des Moines between May and October, Many of them in the Western Gateway neighborhood, restaurant owners say the events block off streets and limit access to their establishments during some of their peak hours, hours that have become even more critical with fewer people coming in for lunch during the week as they continue to work from home. Restaurant owners are emphatic that they are not anti-festival but instead want to work with the city and festival organizers to find a way for everyone to successfully coexist without chipping away at their revenues. I want to stress that we are really supportive and proud of the festivals and just want everyone to recognize that it's having an impact and that the businesses are being asked to sacrifice their livelihood to benefit these events, said Paul Rottenberg, owner of Centro, Django, and Southeast, Union Bread Cafe. The suggestion that the events, which often involve food, drive people into the restaurants is incorrect, he said. The notion that they do anything to enhance the businesses that are around them is in error, Rottenberg said. People don't go to the World Food Festival to eat at Centro. Discussions among the groups started in 2018 to 2019, but were put on hold when festivals and events were canceled in 2020 because of the coronavirus pandemic. Talks resumed earlier this year after events began to return in 2021. The biggest sticking point for restaurant owners is the closing of Locust and Grand Avenues and adjacent streets, shutting off two main arteries into and out of downtown Des Moines. Those of us who have businesses in that space and benefit from traffic that goes through that space suffer the economic consequences, Rottenberg said. Neil Salowitz, a former partner in Proof, located on the corner of 13th and Locust Streets, said there is a misconception that the events drive people into local downtown restaurants. The argument that people will come down and patronize our restaurants we don't find that to be the case, said Salowitz, who is still involved in the operation of Proof as a director of special projects. People who come to festivals eat festival food, and that doesn't help our business in any way, he said. Salowitz echoed Rottenberg's support of the festivals, but said more needs to be done to find a way for both to operate successfully. Festivals are what makes Des Moines, Des Moines, he said. What we're saying is work with us so that festivals benefit everyone and don't act as a detriment to a group of business owners in Des Moines. We're not anti-festival, he said. Chris Diebel, owner of Bubba, said the street closures often begin as early as Thursday as events begin to set up. Restaurants bear the brunt of the extended street closures, which discourages non-event goers from traveling downtown, he said. If this was only happening once or twice a season, area businesses would be willing to take a short-term hit, Diebel said. However, however, the sheer volume of festivals in the Western Gateway between May and October has become untenable, he said. He said restaurants make 60 percent of their revenue Friday through Sunday, and the street closures shut off access on those days. To make matters worse, he said, Weekday traffic has slowed considerably now that remote work options are the norm for most downtown employers. Restaurant owners did not provide financial data displaying the effects the festivals are having on their businesses, but they said anecdotally they see significantly fewer customers during those weekends. The restaurant owners say they would like a serious discussion about how both restaurants and the festivals can be accommodated. Suggestions include not closing both streets, creating two way traffic on one of them while closing the other, and better notification and directions for people to follow on festival weekends, helping them to better navigate the street closings. They would also like the city and festival organizers to explore possible options for relocating some of the festivals to other areas, such as Waterworks Park or the Global Plaza that will be built adjacent to the pro-Iowa soccer stadium south of Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway. Mickey Davis, executive director of the Des Moines Music Coalition, which hosts the 8035 Music Festival, said the group is committed to the continued conversation to ensure growth for both festivals and downtown businesses. 8035 is a nonprofit festival dedicated to supporting the cultural scene of central Iowa, and we are committed to ongoing dialogue with our neighbors and partners to create a successful festival, Davis said. The success of downtown Des Moines and the restaurants and businesses located here is essential to a thriving cultural scene, he said. Joe Gonzalez, executive director of the Iowa Latino Heritage Festival, said the festivals want to work with everyone to ensure all parties are successful. He said festivals could do a better job of promoting local restaurants and directing customers to them on festival weekends, and that restaurants could maybe offer specials on those weekends to bring more people in their doors. The festivals and business owners are looking at how we can coexist and support each other, Gonzalez said we do bring a lot of people down there and we're trying to figure out how to get folks to also visit those surrounding businesses. The Iowa Latino Heritage Festival brings about 20,000 people to downtown Des Moines. Gonzalez said better signage directing traffic around street closures is another possible solution, as well as possible changes to traffic patterns on those weekends. He said that festivals are always looking at options for putting on their events and that his group is looking at the Global Plaza site once it's developed. But he acknowledged that it will be at least a couple of years down the road, so short-term solutions will need to be found. We're trying to work together to figure out everything to not have as much of an impact, Gonzalez said. Jen Schulte, Assistant Assistant City Manager and Governmental Relations Director for the City of Des Moines, said the city is, quote, empathetic to every entity, whether it be a business or a festival, end quote. The goal of the meetings between the city and stakeholders is to find a way everyone can work together and be successful, she said. The festivals are a wonderful thing for our community, and we certainly want our businesses and restaurants to thrive, so it's a balance, but I think we can both work together cohesively, Schulte said. While options are being discussed, Each festival has unique needs, creating logistical challenges for some of them if other locations are considered, she said. Some sites don't have access to bathrooms or lighting. Some aren't big enough, Schulte said. That's the unique challenge. How do we have these things commingle with each other? How does a festival route people downtown and benefit the businesses? And so it's a unique walk that the city and the businesses and the festivals have to do. We have to be cognizant of that and figure that out, she said. Schulte said it's unlikely any changes will be made for 2022. The city's economic development team has talked to the Krauss Group about developing the global plaza in a way that could handle some of the events currently located in the Western Gateway neighborhood, she said. Until then, the conversations about options will continue, Schulte said. Our downtown thrives with those Festivals, we want to make sure they feel welcome, she said. They bring a lot to the city. From the commercial real estate section, CRE Forum panelists talk about projects, development trends. By Kathy A. Bolton. Dozens of new construction projects are underway in the greater Des Moines area, ranging from multifamily housing to retail, office, and industrial developments. Seven people affiliated with the commercial real estate sector talked about projects with which their businesses are involved, as well as their businesses in general, during the Business Records Annual Commercial Real Estate Forum held on April 20th. The following are excerpts of what the panelists said about their projects and businesses. Nationwide, older generation buildings, those built over 20 years ago, make up 75% of the inventory on the market. In the Des Moines Metro, that's even higher. In 2015, Opus was one of the first to bring speculative Class A industrial space to the market on our Corporate Woods building in Ankeny. Shortly after phase three of our Corporate Woods project was completed and delivered to the market, the 2020 pandemic shattered the old consumer shopping habits and accelerated online shopping, further exasperate, exacerbating the need for industrial space and Class A space. You see a lot of industrial space being built and a lot of new spaces coming on the market. Currently, there's over 730,000 square feet of pre-leasing going on in this marketplace. That compares to just zero square feet a year ago. The demand is obviously there. The scarcity of land and land prices are driving tenants to secondary and tertiary markets. That's why we're seeing so much of the product being built in Des Moines. Those comments were from Michael Anthony, project executive with Opus Group, headquartered in Minneapolis and with offices in Clive and six other cities. The company is nearing completion of a speculative industrial building in Swanwood Logistics Center in Ankeny, and two buildings in Northridge 8035 in Northeast Des Moines. The following comments from Marcus Ashworth, entrepreneur, distiller, and developer. He makes small batch rye whiskey in a de- in Des Moines under the label Zyad and is developing Center at 6th at 1714 6th Avenue. The project would include affordable apartments, street-level retail and restaurant space, and a non-profit business incubator. The retail and incubator would be targeted at black and brown entrepreneurs. Ashworth provided an update on the development and the need it will fill. At this point, we've secured partners for the incubator. We're finishing a lot of the design elements. Fundraising has really been a joy, looking at the response from the community, We are dealing with increased costs due to constraints in the supply chain, but we're working on efficiencies to fit that still within the budget. We're about 24 months from actual doors opening. When you look at 6th Avenue and the reputation that comes with it a lot of times, I thought it would be important to put something in the community that the community could use and benefit from especially when you look at the amount of entrepreneurial, innovation, and startups that are happening in and around the area. I wanted to make a space where black and brown businesses could be incubated and create a space that they can not only incubate, but leverage for growth and work with the national chains to upsell their products. Matt Brown, president of Formation Group, a building consultant business located in West Des Moines, Brown talked about what went into finding land on which to build new headquarters for West Bank. A prerequisite for the West Bank project is that they said, Hey, we're staying in West Des Moines. They had a couple options that we helped them with. They had to keep it on the down low because they didn't want anybody to know about it. They decided that the site south of Valley West Mall was the best fit for them as an organization. You look at that site and say, where do we spin the positive on this? Because the site just isn't the most ideal, but for them, it is the best fit. It's a wonderful redevelopment opportunity for the city of West Des Moines. West Bank, in the words of CEO and President Dave Nelson, when we take a site that is blighted and we make it into something that's special, that exudes our commitment to the community. When everybody thinks of West Des Moines, you don't really think about Valley West Mall. We all know it's there. We all know it's an opportunity. But we really haven't thought about what it could become. And this is really that catalyst to make things happen in that area. Carl Chambers, CEO and President of Imprint Architects in Ankeny. The group designed the Prairie Trail Sports Complex, now under construction, and the proposed Bombers golf entertainment venue in Johnston. Chambers talked about the increase in sports-related facilities. There's been an increase in sports and entertainment venues. As retail and shopping has moved online into that digital realm, you see this mass consumerism migrating more towards buildings that are designed for user experiences. The Prairie Trail Sports Complex will have individual buildings designed for specific sports. There's just this really big trend now that people are investing a lot of money in their kids' entertainment and sports, and this is going to be one piece of that in central Iowa. The Bombers Golf Entertainment venue is going to have a rooftop patio with a bar and place to play bags. The entire Bomber Complex is designed around entertainment. It's located adjacent to Beaver Creek, and there are plans to connect the Central Iowa water trails. More resources are being put into these entertainment-type facilities because people are more focused on experience versus merchandise. Adam Peterson, president of PDM Precast in Des Moines, The company is building an addition to its facilities in an effort to improve the work environment for employees. Peterson talked about the importance of maintaining a talented workforce, which has grown to about 200 employees from 29 about 10 years ago. Experiencing that kind of people growth and then going through the pandemic, you can imagine how hard it is to maintain that labor force and to recruit it. What we've found is that the ability to get that employee and to keep that employee is as much about the environment that they're in as it is what you pay them. We became an employee-owned company almost three years ago, and we're trying to do everything we can, but it became obvious that we needed to just keep taking that next step and creating a better environment for our employees. So that's why we're doing the expansion. We're putting more production indoors not necessarily increasing our throughput. It's about getting the best employee we can get. It's about retaining our employees and helping them to grow. Everything we've done over the past 10 years in terms of creating space, it's really been about creating the best environment for our folks. Tim Ripma, president of Ripma Properties in Des Moines and member of the Des Moines Urban Design Review Board, provided an update on the Market District, which is the southern half of Des Moines' East Village neighborhood east of the Des Moines River in downtown. The Market District is a public-private partnership that includes JSC Properties, Mid-American Energy, and the City of Des Moines. is roughly a 40-acre development. The total land available for development is over 80, 850,000 square feet. What we're doing is constructing infrastructure for development-ready sites and have offers with incentives for offices, multifamily, retail, and hospitality. We're installing one and a half acres of new tree cover. Part of that development, with a subgroup I'm working with, is the Central Oil Building at 112 Southeast 4th Street. The first retail tenant, Twisted Vine, will open June 1st. The second floor has two offices, and there's four apartments on the third floor. I like to refer to the building as the first vertical development in the market district. It's a historical redevelopment. It's safe to say that in the next two years, you'll start seeing vertical buildings going up in the market district as we continue the roadway infrastructure, which we just started again about a month ago. And Tina Smothers, principal of Optimum Real Estate Management in Des Moines, talked about the conversion of a former extended-stay hotel in Clive into affordable housing. From the time the project was introduced to us until the time we closed in March was over a year and a half, and a lot of the pricing had changed in that time frame, Even some of the people that we had lined up to do some of the rehab work for us were not able to do so anymore just because of the demand. We are doing the construction management ourselves. We are doing a $1.5 million rehab on it. With that, we are putting in about $5,500 per door. Not so many years ago, we used to do full apartment rehabs for $5,500, which included brand new cabinets, all of the appliances replaced. We were lucky with this project with that we were able to keep the appliances that the hotel had recently replaced. Due to the cost, we had to paint all of the cabinets instead of replacing some of the doors. And we're trying to add some amenities like a dog park and dog wash station. You're listening to the reading of the business record for Friday, April 29, 2022 on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. Now turning to Drew McClellan's marketing column, Four Pillars of Marketing, The Right People. Here we are. After 20 years of writing this column, this is my final submission. As promised, my final four columns have been focused on what I believe are the four most important elements of marketing. Get these four correct, and the rest is just details. The four cornerstones of marketing are your brand, your audience, giving first, and surrounding yourself with the right people. This week, we'll start with the one that I believe is most important, the people who surround you in your work world. The right people is multifold. It's not just your co-workers. It's your customers, your team, the organization's leaders, your collaboration partners, and even your competitors. I haven't always gotten this right. That's how I've come to know how critical it is. Marketing and sales boil down to a relationship. If it's transactional, then it stays on the surface. Everyone jockeys for an advantage over the other, and there's very little grace loyalty, or longevity. But when you find yourself serving the right clients, working side-by-side with the right people, inspired by your leadership, and energized by your collaboration partners, you build relationships based on mutual respect, trust, and a sense of service. This is even true with your competitors. When you respect their work and know you need to elevate your game to compete, that creates a healthy rivalry, rivalry that can lead to friendship and ultimately the consumer winning because the rising tide lifted all the boats. How do you make sure you've made the right choices? First, you need to understand and be able to articulate what the right fit is, whether it's a client, coworker, etc. Equally important, and something we seem to take for granted or forget, is us deciding how we want to show up in that relationship. Do we want to be very transparent? Do we want to be a mentor or guide? Should we hold our cards close to the vest? How we show up is going to have a huge influence on how anyone else shows up. Unfortunately, there's no surefire litmus test. But we all have that inner voice that tells us if we're going to enjoy serving a certain customer or working alongside someone, if we're smart enough to listen to it. From there, you trust, but verify. You look for clues that align or don't align with what your gut reaction told you. You pay attention to how they step up and into the relationship with you. And for me, I pay attention to whether or not I enjoy being of service to them. Consistency in marketing is often considered dull, but it is one of the strongest threads to create and build trust. One of the best ways for you to become trusted or know you can trust someone else is how they show up every day. It's not a hard science but I believe we know when we've found the right fit people to help us do our best work and provide the most good. When we do, we should double down and invest in the relationship for the long haul. As I reflect on writing this column, that's my final takeaway. How lucky I've been to work with the talented and collaborative team at BPC and to write for you. I want to thank you for your readership over the last two decades, your email commentary and suggestions, and your photos of specific columns that found their way to your wall, bulletin board, classroom, or got passed around to your team. It's been my privilege to be a part of the business publications family and a part of your work world. Thanks for reading me every week. A Publisher's Note We have had the great pleasure to read the great work of Drew McClellan for more than 20 years. He is someone who is very special to both our audience and the team here at The Business Record. Most of you know Drew from these very pages of The Business Record, where he has written an outstanding column on marketing, which he began in January 2002. This edition is tinged with bittersweet notes. As he announced earlier this month, Drew has decided it is time to hang up his business record pen and is ending his column with today's installment. His time with us has produced approximately 1,050 columns. Columns that have equipped us, educated us, kept us focused on the client. Columns that have inspired us. Drew describes himself as a dad, agency guy, writer, and speaker, but he is very humble. Drew, who was named a 40 under 40 in the first class in 2000, has had and will continue to have a remarkable career. He started his own agency in 1995, and he also owns and runs the Agency Management Institute, serving more than 250 small to mid-sized agencies annually. Drew has often appeared in Forbes, Entrepreneur Magazine, The New York Times, Ad Age, CNN, and Business Week, and the Wall Street Journal calls him, quote, one of 10 bloggers every entrepreneur should read, end quote. He's hosted podcasts and written four books. Wow, no wonder he was also named 40 Under 40 Alumnus of the Year in 2010. Along the way, he has also given me... Connie Weimer, and Susanna DeBaca, personal and professional advice that has been invaluable, authentic, and spot on. Today, we are thanking Drew and honoring him. Drew, we are going to miss you on that last page or so of business record, but we wish you all the best on your next page. Now turning to the Elbert Files. Dave Elbert's column, Jackalope's I bought On the Trail of the Jackalope because, like author Michael P. Branch, I've been intrigued by the idea of a mythological horned rabbit for much of my life. Although I purchased the book to learn about an imaginary animal, I discovered it also contains the remarkable untold story of Dr. Richard Shope, a Des Moines native whose pursuit of real-life jackalopes led to a cure for certain types of cancer. According to Branch, the jackalope story began in the 1930s when two Wyoming brothers, Doug and Ralph Herrick, ages 12 and 10, attached antlers to a dead jackrabbit while taking a mail order taxidermy course. They sold the result to a local businessman who hung the mounted jackalope in his hotel bar, where over time it attracted sufficient attention to provide Ralph Herrick with work for much of his life. Herrick's hometown, Douglas, Wyoming, is today, quote, the official home of the jackalope, end quote. As the author continued to explore the subject, he learned that the concept of rabbits with horns goes back many centuries and crosses many cultures. So while the Herrick brothers may have been the first to attach antlers to a jackrabbit trophy mount, they were hardly the first to popularize the concept of horned rabbits. Horned rabbits have appeared in sources as varied as a 13th century Persian cosmography, oral traditions of indigenous Mexicans, folk tales of Africans, creation myths of native North Americans, the mythology of European cultures, and a remarkable number of natural histories by prominent early scientists across Europe, Branch wrote. In fact, he said reports existed of rabbits with horn-like warts in western and midwestern states, including Iowa, years before the Herrick brothers attempted their first cross-species taxidermy. That's where Des Moines native Shope enters the story. Born on Christmas Day 1901, Shope grew up near the Des Moines River in an east side home near today's Lutheran Hospital. Shope's father was a physician. At age 10, the boy, quote, began working on local farms where he took an early interest in livestock, Branch wrote. At 15, the Des Moines Tribune reported the lad, quote, carried away honors at the Iowa Poultry Show for wild mallard ducks and silver lace Wyandotte chickens, end quote. After receiving a medical degree from the University of Iowa in 1924, Shope married Helen Ellis, a fellow student from Lineville, Iowa, and took a job doing medical research at Princeton University, where he was among the first to investigate swine flu, which he correctly identified as an offshoot of the virus that had resulted in the 1918 worldwide pandemic. Shope's work on swine flu taught him a great deal about how viruses that ravage animals could shed light on human disease, Branch wrote. In 1931, he added, Shope observed a tumor on the foot of a rabbit he shot while hunting near Princeton and discovered that the tumors were caused by another previously unknown virus. The following year, a visitor from Cherokee, Iowa, told Shope about shooting, quote, rabbits with horns out of the side of their heads like Texas steers or out of the top of their noses like a rhinoceros, end quote. After examining diseased rabbits from Iowa and Kansas, Shope devised an experiment using pulverized horns to create a solution that he rubbed on, quote, scarified skin of healthy rabbits, which caused caused them to grow horns, end quote. He also discovered that, quote, antibodies produced by the stricken rabbits could effectively prevent reinfection, end quote. He had, in effect, discovered a vaccine that would evolve and eventually be used to successfully treat cervical cancer, which, like the horns grown on rabbits, is caused by a papillomavirus. I said Shope's story was untold because much of what Branch relates is based on material he found in old medical journals and previously unpublished letters obtained from Shope's children. In that material two recipients of the Nobel Prize for Medicine, Peyton Roos in 1966 and Harold Zurhausen in 2008, credited Shope's work with deformed rabbits for making their own success possible. Now turning to the business record's leader spotlight. Principal Financial Group announced two new leadership hires within its compliance and investor relations operations. On February 21st, Noreen Fierro joined Principal as Senior Vice President, Chief Compliance Officer, overseeing all regulatory compliance operations for the global company. Additionally, Humphrey Lee has been named Vice President, Head of Investor Relations for Principal, effective February 28th. Kemen Industries, the Des Moines-based global ingredient manufacturer, Recently named Marsha Bro, President of Chemin Food Technologies, Europe, Middle East, and Africa. Brad Dietz, who has worked for the City of Waukee since 2006, has been named the Dallas County Community's City Administrator. Carrie Cruz has been named Vice President of Downtown Development for the Greater Des Moines Partnership. And Unity Point Health announced that DeAndre Carpenter has been selected as Chief Nursing Officer of the Regional Health System. The following stories are from the One Voice Supplement to the Business Record uh, Regional and Investor Member Newsletter from the Greater Des Moines Partnership. Downtown Farmers Market opening day is Saturday, May 7th. The downtown Des Moines streets will be filled with live music and the smells of fresh local food when the Downtown Farmer's Market, presented by Unity Point Health Des Moines, returns for its opening day on Saturday, May 7th. The market takes place every Saturday morning from May through October. The hours are 7 a.m. to noon, with a later start time during October when the hours are 8 a.m. to noon. The market spans nine city blocks in downtown DSM in the historic Court District, including on Court Avenue from Water Street to Fifth Avenue, and extending north and south on Second Avenue, Third Street, and Fourth Street. The market is produced by the Greater Des Moines Partnership. Inclusive Small Business Owners Survey for Minority-Owned Businesses The partnership launched a survey intended to help it and other organizations understand how to better serve traditionally underrepresented entrepreneurs and small business owners. The Inclusive Small Business Owners Survey is geared toward minority-owned businesses in Greater Des Moines. Its purpose is to provide an understanding of the needs of diverse business owners in the DSM region and to inform resource organizations on how to best approach diversity, equity, inclusion within the DSM startup and small business ecosystem. The survey will take approximately 5 to 10 minutes to complete. You can take the survey at dsmpartnership.com forward slash inclusive survey. DSM population growth outpaces other Midwest metros. DSM was again named the fastest growing major Midwest metro in percentage of population growth according to the 2021 estimates released by the US Census Bureau. The Des Moines West Des Moines Metropolitan Statistical Area (MSA) grew from 606,475 residents in 2010 to 719,146 residents as of July 1st, 2021, an increase of 18.6%. From 2020 to 2021, DSM grew by 1.4%. Growth was measured from April 1st, 2010 to July 1st, 2021, and April 1st, 2020 to July 1st, 2021. By percentage, DSM grew faster than Midwest peers, including, including Chicago, Omaha, Kansas City, Milwaukee, Minneapolis, and St. Louis, both year over year and in the period since 2010. This growth is the continuation of a long-term trend for the region's MSA. Projections have shown DSM's population nearing 1 million people in coming years. Hashtag DSM buzz. Alex Lynch has joined the Greater Des Moines Partnership Team as the Senior Director of Business Attraction. Molly Atkins has joined the Partnership Team as the Events Specialist. Megan Renkel has joined the Partnership Team as the Downtown Farmers Market Manager. DSM was recently selected to join a small network of cities working with the NYU Furman Center's Housing Solutions Lab. For their 2022 Peer Cities Network project to help develop innovative and equitable local housing solutions. DSM is a top 25 best city for young professionals, according to Policy Genius. DSM and Operation Downtown were recognized in a blog post by Bush Systems, recognizing communities that are making public spaces work. And more from Hashtag DSM Strong bragging rights. Nationwide was ranked number 21 on Fortune Magazine's 100 Best Companies to Work For 2022 list. Holmes Murphy & Associates named Espanola Nola Cartmill as the the company's chief diversity officer. All four of UnityPoint Health Des Moines hospitals, including Blank Children's Hospital, Iowa Methodist Medical Center, Iowa Lutheran Hospital, and Methodist West Hospital received an evaluation of 100 and the designations of LGBTQ Healthcare Equality Leader in the Human Rights Campaign Foundation's Healthcare Equity Index. Mercy One Des Moines Medical Center's Dr. Hingenio Carrione earned national recognition as Chief Medical Officer to Know. The College of Business and Public Administration at Drake University has received an extension of its accreditation from the Association to Advance Collegiate Schools of Business through 2022, through 2027. Shive Hattery announced its acquisition of WSM Architects, Inc., a 13-person architecture firm in Tucson, Arizona. DART announced that it will be offering a $1 cash fare on the bus and MyDART app through May 31st. The City of Grimes received approval for a 50-acre land donation for a multi-use sports complex, as well as $12 million from the project's original developer. And that does it for today's reading of the business record for April 29th, 2022. I'm your reader, Susan Hack. You can access a recording of today's reading on our website, iowaradioreading.org, anytime. Thanks for listening.
1: Are you among the millions of Americans living with chronic pain? If so, you may think prescription opioids are the solution. The truth is, the benefits of opioids are limited. Opioids only mask the pain. Opioids also come with serious side effects, ranging from nausea to withdrawal symptoms to overdose. As many as 25% of people who are prescribed opioids struggle with addiction. And those who are addicted to opioids are 40 times more likely to move on to heroin. No one wants to live in pain but no one should put their health at risk to be pain free. There is another choice, physical therapy. Physical therapists treat pain through movement and exercise, no warning labels required. And you get to be an active participant in your care. Choose to treat your pain safely. Choose physical therapy. Visit moveforwardpt.com to find a physical therapist near you. This public service announcement is brought to you by the American Physical Therapy Association.